0: Listening to Let's Think On It featuring Dr. Mark Westfall.
1: You're listening to Let's Think On It. Welcome back. We have Fred Shepard, chairman of the political science department at Stanford University. We have Jeff Thomas and Haley Ingram, two co thinkers. Um, And we've been talking about the phenomenon in Britain, the Brexit and we've been talking about the European Union. Um, and so let's now, we've been talking about immigration, we've been talking about the fears that uh, started, uh, some of, or that were maybe behind some of the vote in Britain. And so let's bring it now to the U.S. Um, and, and the effect that it may have on us. And also, analogous to, uh, uh, in, in addition to that kind of approach, is are there some similar fears going on in the U.S. that's driving our current political phenomenon? So
0: however you want to approach that. Sure. So, so the parallels with the U.S. are interesting, and there's sort of a history the last few decades of Britain and the U.S. kind of doing the same things politically. Reagan-Thatcher, Clinton-Blair, and now some people say Trump-Brexit kind of thing. So there, there are clearly some similarities, but I think there are some important differences as well. Uh, but it's very difficult to say how that will play out uh, with the coming election, because it's tough to make predictions right now. It could, you know, it could right. go in a bunch of different ways, um, and I don't want to make any predictions right now. Well, um,
1: most political <laughs> prognosticators are kind of uh, yeah. uh, licking their wounds because I don't yeah. think anyone, anyone got it no right one, yet. yeah, no one's got it right <laughs> yet on, <laughs> 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 on Brexit or on Trump. Yeah. So
0: yeah. most people are kind of keeping their uh, guesses close to their chest. I think. But that's really, I mean, if you can say there is an issue for Trump, it's immigration, and it's this kind of weird and wacky, but it almost makes kind of political sense the idea that he would have Mexico foot the bill for a big wall. Um, and it plays to the idea that we're, we're victims of immigrants. He called, you know, he said they're a bunch of rapists. Um, and there's a sense that we're victims of Mex- Mexican immigrants. Now, if you step back, you know, we victimize Mexico in a lot of ways. I mean, the drug trade. I mean, all their stuff is coming to be consumed by us. Mexicans feel like victims of us. But there's a sense of victimization. And Trump is playing to that in a very, very clever way. So you're saying
1: the Mex- essentially the average Mexican culture is feeling like there's a drug trade because of the U.S. Yeah. And it's promoting their folks to get into the drug
0: trade and trade because there's That's a That's what demand. the money is, yeah. And I always point at my students and I say, well, not really, I, I don't mean you guys, but you know, upper middle class white <laughs> kids with money, uh, they're the ones buying the drugs. Right. And Mexicans feel victimized by that. But what we're talking about is Trump playing on the sense of victimization among Americans uh, because of immigration. Now, it's partly terrorism and all that, but it's partly, you know, these scary... And they're not scary. They tend to be very hardworking and very law-abiding, but Trump is making them seem scary coming from Mexico and Central America. And it's a very successful political strategy. Um, and it's got some similarities with, with Brexit, no question about it.
1: And Do you think it's resonating more now with Americans because of the terrorist fear as well. I mean, it's yeah. like there's, it's resonating with each other, right? To me, in psychology, yeah. we talk about resonation. You may have a feeling about somebody that is stronger than you normally would have had because you've had an experience with someone else that reminds you of them. And so yeah. those two fears resonate. So we've got this worldwide phenomenon of terrorism going on from, yeah. you know, from the extremist Islam. And so it's an opportune time to talk about our neighbor's right to the South, because we're already
0: kind of, this global fear is going on. So yeah, and I think, I mean, I just, i get up on my soapbox for a second here. The idea that we would not let in lots of Iraqis who helped us in the war, to me it's just, that's grotesque. I mean, these people risked their lives to help us. Uh, we need to let them in, if they helped us in the war effort. And we're not, we're not letting those people in. So, uh, you know, that's that's my opinion on it. But there is this idea, um, and there's the ISIS out there, and... The idea that ISIS is this all-powerful group, an even more powerful version of Al-Qaeda, blah, blah, blah. Um, Trump, other folks can play on that fear, even if they're not that powerful. But there's, there is a potential enemy out there. And again, there's this calculation that, yeah, let's exaggerate. Let's exaggerate that threat to us. And uh, it'll bring us more together. And by the way, it'll help you get elected. So I don't want to be too hard on, tr- it's not just Trump here. But he's, he's kind of a particularly, um, what, flamboyant example of it. Um, and he really kind of has come to represent uh, that way of thinking. Psychologically, I see it as he is capitalizing
1: on a phenomenon that's in the groundswell already. Yeah. Um, and it's just, to me it's the same groundswell that was, going, that was going on the little bit I know about Britain they got the Brexit going on. It's, yeah. There's this, and I think in general, if you look at it psychologically, it's because that is a common feeling. Yeah. And so I guess to go to that and try to say, okay, well, how do you respond to the individual who says, you know, I realize there are, quote, good folks from Iraq and there are terrorists from Iraq. I'm going to ask you the question, whoever's the gatekeeper, how do you know the difference? Yeah. And if you don't know the difference then how can you let someone in? Yeah,
0: yeah, better better to play it safe. What's well, interesting, too, because in Alabama we had this law three, four years ago that was a very strict and very harsh law. There was no problem in Alabama. We, did, we didn't have a very significant Hispanic presence. They were, tend to be very law-abiding, uh, very few crimes. Um, and I think it kind of, Peter, you know, there was a general sense that this wasn't appropriate and wasn't the right thing to do. Um, even with our history of racism and all that, there was a sense, now this is, we've gone too far with this law. Just for listeners, and actually for me too, what, what law are you speaking to? the uh, the Alabama anti immigration law.
2: You remember when Three, we ran them years. all out?
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it's basically what happened. And yep. they, they just left the they left the state and yep. left all these farmers without any workers and they couldn't get anybody to come do the jobs and the people that did get to come do the jobs stayed for about two days and quit because the work was too hard. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they couldn't get right. you know I, I remember it out the of phenomenon. Yep. What was the law?
0: It was we, um I mean, it was a very had? harsh, very restrictive law. Yeah. And it for instance it restricted um, anyone from a church from helping these folks. If you hired one, you yeah. got, you got, you know, yeah. big jail time. You hired all a, that, someone it, that was an undocumented. undocumented worker. Yeah. yeah, and if you let them sleep in your church, you were potentially, uh, you could be punished for so that. So essentially criminalized hiring
1: or helping yeah. undocumented workers. Right, right. And, you know, given And our, has that softened? Has the, has the law been taken off the books or it just hasn't been enforced? Hasn't been enforced. Um,
0: but... Um, uh, To to their credit, there was was this sort of manufactured threat. And given our history, you thought, well, Alabama would have responded the wrong way. But no, because there was no crisis, and and the overwhelming majority of the population in Alabama, uh, the Hispanic um, um, non-legal group, are law-abiding, and they're helping the economy. And so that kind of fizzled, but it's not fizzling nationally, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what uh, um, the Trump phenomenon. I mean, there there are a lot of things going on with Trump, but this is a very important part of it. Yeah. So,
2: can I take it back to Brexit for just a second? Yeah, yeah. So, why should I care about Brexit?
0: Um, I think there's a sense um, that the economic repercussions haven't been as great as people thought, but. Two things are going on. One is what's going to happen to the British economy, which is an important economy. Okay, so and, that's going to affect the the markets in general. Yep, and Britain is a big financial center. Right. Um, so what happens to, you know, the, I don't know, the eighth or the sixth largest economy in the world is important to us. But also what might happen is the whole European project might unravel.
2: Mm.
0: And that's the one of the very largest economies in the world, and if suddenly you've got country after country after country pulling out of this pretty harmonious economic unit, I mean, you go to London now, you get cheap groceries. You get affordable groceries in London. Um, that's, that will change dramatically. Um, pr- it'll probably change pretty dramatically with Brexit. It'll change very dramatically if Europe, country by country by country, falls apart. And how does that affect (coughs) snowball affect the U.S.? So it would lead to a, um, again, it's hard to over... I I want to be careful about overgeneralizing about this. But it would, would, um, so so roughly a third of the global economy would be directly affected by this, um, and the impact on the rest of the economy would be very, very significant. So you might say something along the lines of what happened in 2007, 2008. You know, why is that? Because nothing's, nothing's
2: changing over there besides they they can't trade as freely. Right. Is that? Yep. And immigration can't flow like right. it did. Yep. Uh, do their taxes go up?
0: Do their um, taxes go down? Or are
1: they going to, like, tax exports?
0: It's, yeah, yeah. So you, you would have the much greater um, likelihood of taxing imports and exports.
1: Yeah, because then, like, here.
0: I'm sorry. over yeah. half
1: of... Britain's yeah. exports are in the Union.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, it would depend on what the Union wanted to do. Right.
1: So it could um, literally yeah. go any way. Yeah,
0: yeah, saying. absolutely. Okay. Uh, but it would be a greater chance of countries looking inward, becoming more insular, um, and sort of shutting down their economies to outside actors. And where we really saw this happen before was the thing that created the EU in the first place, and that was the Great Depression and the move to, to World War II. So take us there. Yeah. Tie that together. Right. So um, you had a massive. Um, I'm, I'm not an historian of the Great Depression, um, but what you had was these countries looking. You probably inward. have us on this one. Okay. Well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you had really significant, and again, we talked about the scale of economic crises in 2008, um, dwarfed by what happened during the Great Depression. And you had countries looking inward. So they looked inward, um, and it made it much... Just for clarification, sorry to interrupt. The Great Depression was a global
1: yep. phenomenon, yep. not just U.S. phenomenon. Right. Right? Is that accurate? Yeah. Yep. So the whole world was feeling yep. this economic... Absolutely. Even though it, there wasn't as much global trade as there is now, Right. there was this global phenomenon of people... I mean, people in Germany, Europe were... Yep struggling financially just like they were in the U.S. Yeah. in the 30s. Is that and right? it's really interesting
0: because after World War I, uh, a lot of these countries had a really, really difficult time for maybe five years or so. Then the mid-1920s, they kind of got their act together and recovered. Then you had the Great Depression in 1929, a year or two around uh, after that, and you had all these countries that had recovered pretty well from World War I just fall into the abyss. And so you get Hitler... Um, elected democratically in arguably the most advanced educated civilized country in the world partly because of the great depression and the fact that countries were starting to look inward and becoming much much more nationalistic much greater sense of victimhood within those countries when people this goes to the psychology of all this yep. when people are threatened
1: i mean they get more self-preserving and aggressive yep so Wars break out, right? Yes. I mean, so that's the concern, is that when, when your country's not doing well, you start looking inward for taking care of yourselves and excluding others and or aggressive towards others to get what you need. Is that...
0: Right. And this, it is interesting because that's not going to happen in the near-term near, near term future in Europe because these are democratic countries and all right. that. But if you look really closely, um, if you look at what's going to happen in Northern Ireland, which is part of the, part of the United Kingdom now... You've got Catholics and Protestants in an uneasy peace situation. The minute Brexit happened, the Catholics said, we want to become part of Ireland. The stakes are very high in Northern Ireland. Uh, mm. Stakes aren't so high in London. The stakes aren't so high in France mm. and Germany and all that. Um, but the stakes actually are pretty high in Northern Ireland. So back to yep. the pre-World War II stuff. So c-
1: countries are depressed, and, yep. and so what happens next?
0: Well, again, you know the, the the Nazi analogy is not always a helpful one. You know, the minute you hear someone say, "Oh, this this is like the Nazis," right. it's not often a helpful one. But actually, if you look at the actual history, it's 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 a good cautionary tale. And that is again of a an advanced, civilized. I mean, look at German culture; it's unparalleled, highly educated population in the 1930s. Look at what they did because they started looking inward, and they also felt victimized.
2: And you're saying you're saying that Great Britain's there now.
0: I'd say Great Britain is not nearly there now, but it's useful to look at a country feeling victimized, starting to take steps in the direction of isolating themselves. Yeah, there's definitely parallels yep, there. Starting to to feel threatened, uh, starting to fall back on. Often, kind of false and romantic notions about their their great national history—that's um, worth uh, worrying about. And I've seen, or I've heard,
1: in parallels even being made in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, again, not an extreme. We're not Nazi Germany, right. but it is important to understand the psychology behind it because it may lead to consequences we're not we don't really want. I don't know where we're leading to, or if it will lead there, but. The, the, what I'm curious about is the, the, if you know anything about the personality of uh, Hitler that helped lead him to that position in a very progressive, democratic country. I mean, what,
0: what was, do you know anything about what he was touting at the time and what what was... Well, his ideas exactly, uh, conformed to the idea of Germany as a, Germany as a victim. And the sort of diabolical thing he did was he focused on a group within Germany. Um, that in many ways was a very uh, well-integrated group that participated and felt very proud of their German heritage, um, but also held itself somewhat apart as a distinct ethnic religious group, the Jews. And his sort of diabolical thing that he did was focused so much of German sense of victimhood on the Jewish community. And it was a community that was uh, a a very um, effective and proud german community but he was able to to channel that hostility to an internal group and you think that was successful
1: in part because of the mental state of the country as a whole with yeah. being feeling victimized impoverished at the time going struggling through through yeah. the great depression like we were but they had a leader who essentially was divisive yep now what we had just briefly, if I can remember a little bit of my history, I'm not going the history. In the U.S., we had a different, a completely different type of leader, FDR, okay. who actually kind of did the opposite and used our right. social network and let government kind of right, put the, you know, the, the
0: CCC camps and those things to work and was, uh, right. you know. And I, I, first, I wouldn't say that all Germans to focus on it. There were lots of Germans who opposed it. Um, right. Second of all, I wouldn't say FDR was perfect. He, his policies toward letting Jews in were not nearly as good as they could have been. But on the other hand, you're right. You're absolutely right. We had a more democratic system, and we had a much more generous, um, uh, enlightened leader than um, than Germany did. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. It's it's kind of a, a tough note to end it on, and I certainly wouldn't say... I think there are, there's a lot of tradition. You know, we started talking about the British democratic system, which has lasted forever. Um, Right. Britain and Iceland compete for who has the longest lasting democracy. And Britain's right up there. So um, I have real faith that the British democratic system will handle this. Um, And I think just knowing what I know about British culture and all that, I think there's some real buyer's remorse, and there's... Some backing off, yeah. And what's also encouraging, although it's 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 not much consolation to them right now, young Brits voted overwhelmingly to remain, and so the future Whoa. is is uh. much better as far as yeah. The old Brits stuck it to the young Brits. That's that's <laughs> one of the stories here. So uh. so it's an encouraging uh, near near and long term future, uh, middle and long term future that. The, the younger you are in Britain, the more interested you are in the EU, the, the more supportive you are of it, and the less likely you are to fall back on this sense of victimization. I think
2: there's also like parallels there with our election right now. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Younger do they crowds have a like, Feel the burn. That's right. That's right. Last <laughs> well, was thinking, do they have the great, the, um, let's make Britain great again? <laughs> not in so many words, and I think again,
0: even the pro Brexit people, they don't want to have anything to do with Trump. So anything that sounded like Trump, they would not, they would not have. And, well, that's a easy point point of
1: clarification before we finish up. We the parties in Britain, I think you call them Conservative, which was Tories, and yep. then the Labor. Yep, right. The Conservative Party in Britain, where would they fall okay. in the U.S. on the? Yeah, you know, right, left spectrum. Everything in Europe is farther to the left,
0: F- farther than center. I mean, yeah. a, so a conservative in so, Britain would they be in the center in the U.S.? They'd be in the center. Okay, in the U.S. And if you lo- if you listen to Theresa May her speech today, that could have been Barack Obama, and she represents not the farthest right. The farthest right would be the UK Independence Party, but she represents the most conservative party. Now she's not the most conservative member of her party, but she's. She would fall roughly where uh, Barack Obama would fall. Um, The Labor Party would fall uh, comfortably with Bernie Sanders. Oh, really? And they have have about what percent of the House of Commons? Uh, Let's see, they've got about 230, I think. 30 percent. So they're they're almost a third. Okay. No, they're just over a third. Um, And they're very, you know, they've they've fallen on hard times, uh, but they're still a very strong second party. And they're... It's it's hard to generalize too much, but they're they're well left of our Democrats. Okay. Um, although Tony Blair pulled them farther to the right, um, and Margaret Thatcher pulled the Conservatives much farther right. So she was had a lot in common with Ronald Reagan. Um, but generally, there's this kind of mainstream politics in Europe that's left of center in the U. That would be left of center in the U.S. and that does have stronger ties with. With working people and all that. So again, that would be another reason I'd feel pretty confident that they'll handle Fair this okay. English, yeah. Because they've got democracies and they've got a pretty broadly representative political gotcha. system.
1: So the whole country is baffled over the Trump thing, essentially, yes. is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, but it goes back par- partly to the parliamentary system, is you can't have these outsiders come in and whip yeah. things up, um, because they've got this parliamentary system that's based on people moving up within the party. It's been an awesome education on,
1: uh, on the political system across the pond. So uh, thank you very much for being with us. Fred Shepard, uh, Chairman of Political Science Department at Stanford University. Jeff Thomas, hey Lemur, thanks for being here again. Thank you. thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio. 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa at bhammountainradio.com or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers.